Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. There is something as unnerving as there is compelling about mankind's abandoned places. But there's something even more tragic about those places that stand as testaments to a childhood corrupted, abandoned, left to molder. These places aren't just left behind but forsaken. These are places that every year grow older, even as their victims do not. Lake Shawnee Amusement Park isn't just a symbol of a childhood lost. The real documented deaths of children on the property date back centuries to even before the park was a spark in its creator's imagination. The park grounds have a history of bloody conflict and traditional lands desecrated. As any traveler to the world's most haunted places knows, ignoring hallowed ground eventually makes for hollowed-out spaces. Even today's visitors can't deny there is something restless here in Lake Shawnee, and history can't ignore that there seems to be a pattern in the land's victims, in the tiny skeletal remains unearthed beneath the churned mud of the Carnival Midway, the creak of chains gone to rust, the distant echoing laughter of children, a cold wind off the lake stirring a forgotten hair ribbon. Do you dare chance a visit and seek thrills in the bones of what once was? Or are some thrills better left unsought? Welcome to Destination Terror, your passport to the scariest places in the world. From haunted hotels to locations of unexplained creature sightings, we will travel to places that will provide excitement, adventure, and horror. Today we are visiting the haunted shores of Lake Shawnee, the abandoned site of a former amusement park, and the final resting place for many of its child visitors. So if you're into travel and all things scary, listen close and you might just discover your next exciting adventure destination but hopefully not your final destination. Destination Terror is an EerieCast original podcast hosted by me, Carmen Carrion. If you would like to send us a suggestion or submit a story with your own experience, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com or follow me on Twitter at Carmen Carrion. If you enjoy the show, please follow and rate Destination Terror on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to help us grow. Also, check out EerieCast.com for more scary podcasts, such as Tales from the Break Room, featuring allegedly true and terrifying stories that happened on the job.
It hadn't rained in days, but the boy standing inside the entrance to the park was soaking wet. Water darkened his clothes, dripped from his hairline, and clumped in his lashes. He looked like he had gone swimming in the lake, fully clothed, and without a chaperone, so far as Mallory could see. She turned to her friends as they approached the front gate and raised her eyebrows in silent question. I see him, Johnny said. Paul, the third member of their party, craned his neck over the heads of the other participants of their tour group to look. They had been lumped together with about a dozen other ghost hunters for their day trip to the abandoned Lake Shawnee Amusement Park but they were the only three to have made an overnight camping reservation, so far as Mallory had been told. The three friends were amateurs when it came to hunting the paranormal, but had agreed that staying the night on the property was probably their best bet to catch any evidence of a haunting. She hadn't expected to be confronted by something so forbidding so soon. Have fun at the park today, the boy chirped. Mallory nearly leapt out of her skin. She hadn't expected the boy to speak. She had assumed he was set dressing, placed there by the park volunteers to add to the already creepy atmosphere. Likely, an adult staff member was hiding around the corner with a warm towel to wrap him up in as soon as the park's visitors were out of sight. He waved to them as they walked on. The three of them returned the gesture. Hang on a minute, guys. Mallory pulled away to approach the boy. Are you serious? Johnny looked annoyed. He shifted anxiously in place, his eyes returning again and again to the retreating backs of the rest of the tour group. Mallory ignored him. She crouched down beside the boy. Hey kid, is someone here with you? She didn't want to ask outright if he had been hired by the park as an actor but she didn't want to just walk by if he was lost. I'm waiting for my mom, the boy explained. His skin had a slightly abnormal grayish cast to it, but he didn't appear to be cold or shivering. It might have been makeup, Mallory supposed. She's coming to pick me up. You know who that was, right? Johnny asked as she rejoined them or who we're supposed to think that was. Mallory nodded. She shivered. All three of them had read extensively about the park's history before coming to Lake Shawnee and about the very real deaths that had occurred while it was still in operation. But two little boys were said to have died in drowning incidents on the property. She wondered if there was another young actor lurking around here somewhere. Why didn't anyone stop to take a photo with him? Paul wondered as they continued down the path. His question struck Mallory, who turned to glance again back at the gate. The little boy was gone. Only a puddle of darkened earth remained where he had been standing. Just as they had suspected, Mallory tried to remind herself. Likely, his wrangler had pulled him into a warm room for a cup of hot cocoa and a pat on the back for a job well done. He had certainly succeeded in unsettling her, if only a little. Maybe we're the only ones who saw him. Johnny pitched his voice low and waggled his fingers. 
Mallory fought the urge to shove the ghoulish expression he was making out of her personal space. Of the three of them, she had a sneaking suspicion she was the only one taking this enterprise seriously. The tour group ambled slowly through the abandoned structures of the park, snapping photos as they went. Their guide pointed out, rather needlessly, Mallory felt, the giant rusted Ferris wheel that towered above it all, large enough to eclipse the sun on the other side of the lake. Overgrown vines wound through the structure, arresting any hope of future operation. The ride had been reduced to a vast trellis that nature now clawed to reclaim. Tiny winking disturbances shone occasionally from out of the tall grass. One tourist flashed a photo, and the spots shone like coins. Mallory froze and grabbed hold of Paul's arm. She pointed out the cats slinking through the weeds at the foot of the ferris wheel. The feral cats paused occasionally in their unknowable errands to eye this recent crop of visitors. And here we have the park's swing. Their guide pointed out the enormous circular swing. It was originally sold off when the park closed in the 1960s, when the new proprietors set out to purchase a similar ride. They found that the serial numbers on the swings were an exact match. It seems that fate conspired to return this particular fixture to Lake Shawnee. What's that? Paul pointed to a red ribbon braided through one of the swing's chain supports. The tour guide made his expression appropriately grim. They say that in Lake Shawnee, there is a park, and in the park, there is an old swing. You'll know it when you see it, for it's marked by a bright red ribbon. Sometimes, the wind off the lake stirs the swing to life. Sometimes, the swing rocks on its own even when there isn't a breeze. Mallory and the others exchanged a look. The script was pretty hokey. But what is it? Another member of the tour group prompted. Their guide straightened. I assume all of you have already read about the tragic death of the little girl here at Lake Shawnee. Most members of the group shook their heads. Mallory could only guess that the negative response was what their guide had been banking on. In the mid-1950s, just when the park had reached the height of its popularity, a horrible accident occurred here. The tour guide touched the swing. A little girl was riding the circular swing when a delivery truck backed into her path. She was killed upon impact. They say her ghost still haunts this part of the park. She has been sighted near this swing in particular. That's horrible, an older woman burst out. I'm afraid this begins the morbid part of our tour, their guide admitted as he gestured for them to follow. If you would like to turn back now and visit the museum and gift shop, I invite you to do so. If, however, you feel stilled for the deaths ahead, then please follow me to the lakeside. Now we're talking. Paul nudged Mallory as they continued on with the others. Don't fall in, Mal. I'm not going to fall in, Paul. Only an idiot like you would manage that. She noticed that Johnny wasn't with them and turned to look back at the swings. One of them swayed slightly while the others remained perfectly inert. 
Was she only imagining it? She squinted. She could have sworn that was the little girl's swing. Boo! Mallory shrieked and pasted herself against Paul. She looked up to find the taller boy laughing as Johnny jogged by them. My money's on Mal calling it quits early tonight, Johnny crowed. You just watch. She'll be the first one booking it out of the tent come nightfall. All I have to do to survive is outrun you two idiots. Mallory was furious with herself and furious that her two friends weren't taking things more seriously. This was the last time she dragged them along on an excursion she had been looking forward to. She glared at Johnny as the tour continued on. A flash of color caught her attention. There was a red ribbon dangling out of the back of his pocket. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The plot of land on which the abandoned Lake Shawnee Amusement Park still stands has seen rise to many ventures and met with just as many tragic ends. To understand the storied history of this part of the lakeshore, one must travel back to even before the park's founding in 1926. The first documented tragedy occurred in 1783, after a white settler named Mitchell Clay moved his family of 14 to Clover Bottom, now Shawnee Lake, in present-day Mercer County. According to the historical records of Reverend Shirley Donnelly, the Clay's harrowing experience unfolded as follows. In August of that year, Mitchell Clay was finishing up harvesting the family's crop of small grain. He tasked two of his young sons, Barkley and Ezekiel Clay, with building a fence around the stacks of grain he had gathered while he went out to hunt for supper. Tabitha Clay, the Clay's eldest daughter, and some of the younger girls were out washing laundry in the river while the children tended to their chores, a band of 11 Shawnee natives crept up from the edge of the field and shot Bartley Clay with a rifle. When the girls heard the shot, they ran for the safety of their house. They reportedly discovered the body of their brother and one of his attackers on the path. Tabitha was stabbed in the issuing struggle and died of her wounds. Meanwhile, Ezekiel Clay was captured and taken prisoner by the tribesmen. 
The bodies of two of the murdered Clay children were later discovered by their mother, Phoebe Clay, who managed to carry them into the house. She then gathered her surviving children to her and hiked the six-mile distance through the hostile woods to a neighbor's property. When Mitchell Clay returned from his hunt, he discovered the grisly scene that awaited him inside his home. Assuming his entire family had been either captured or killed, he departed the cabin and immediately made for a white settlement located on New River. There he pled for help. A mob of men led by Captain Matthew Farley returned to the Clay's cabin to bury the bodies of the two dead children. They then pursued the raiding Shawnee party into the woods. They caught up with them and a bloody battle ensued, in which many of the raiders were killed, although a few still managed to escape with the captive Ezekiel in tow. Young Ezekiel, only 16, was then burned at the stake by his abductors in Chillicothe. This horrific series of events is known alternatively as the Mitchell Clay Massacre or the Clover Bottom Massacre. It numbers among the many dark spots in human history in which cultures clashed and native lands and sacred spaces were invaded. More often than not, these collisions led to bloody conflict and terrible tragedy. Knowledge of the region's fraught history didn't stop future developers from eyeing the vacated land. Entrepreneur Connolly T. Snidow bought and began to develop the Clay's land in the 1920s around the newly named Lake Shawnee. It was Snidow's dream that the land should serve as the site of an amusement park. He conceived of a fun-filled place for the families of the local miners to come and enjoy themselves. The park doors opened in 1926. True to Snidow's vision, live entertainment and amusements abounded, and there was much for the coal miners and the families to see and experience. A fleet of rowboats ferried visitors out onto the man-made lake, while a nearby bathhouse and cement swimming pool welcomed bathers in the summer months concessions, and carnival games abounded. A racetrack wound its way through the attractions, inviting drivers and onlookers of all ages to participate in thrilling high-speed chases. A speakeasy and dance hall were erected, and lakeside cabins could be rented for overnight excursions, priced at $10 a weekend. But there was no denying that the most well-loved attractions, the crown jewels of the park, were the Ferris wheel and the swing ride. The whirling structures gave the midway its dreamy skyline, and there was never an hour the park was in operation when visitors couldn't hear the delighted screams and laughter of children being spun through the air. At the height of its popularity, tens of thousands of people flocked to Lake Shawnee to enjoy Snidow's attractions. Fourth of July weekends in the 40s saw crowds converging to enjoy live events and concerts. Fireworks were shot off all around the lake, and the park's cottages were rented to capacity. The tragedies of the past seemed consigned to the dust of a less friendly history. In collaboration with the Daughters of the American Revolution, Snidow erected a memorial to honor the lives of the three lost clay children. For many blissful years, it seemed that the ghosts of the past were satisfied and all debts were paid. Then tragedy struck again in the 1950s. 
a young girl in a pink dress was riding the circling swing when a soda delivery driver backed into her path and she was killed upon impact. The horrific accident rocked the shores of Lake Shawnee and cast an uneasy pall over Snedow's formerly joyful operations. Next came the unexpected deaths of two boys. The first was a nine-year-old park-goer who was dropped off for the day by his mother. When she returned at the end of the day to collect him, she found that he was missing. A search party was mounted to comb the park for any sign of the boy. It was late into the evening, long after the park gates had closed, that the gruesome discovery was made. The boy's body was found at the bottom of the swimming pool. He had drowned when his arm got caught in a drain pipe. The swimming pool was filled in shortly afterward, but the drownings didn't stop there. Another young boy out on the lake with his family drowned when his canoe overturned. Four more deaths are said to have occurred as a result of safety oversights at the park, and park attendance began to decline in the 1960s as a result. The park was ultimately shut down in 1967 after a failed health and safety inspection. The names of the park's child victims may have been lost to time, but their presence is, and was, still felt by those who have come to visit throughout the years. The ghostly apparition of the girl in the pink dress has been spotted lingering near the swings, and a red ribbon marks the seat where she died. Some of the swings can often be seen moving by themselves, even when there isn't a breeze. The boy who drowned in the lake is said to haunt the area at the front of the park and greet visitors as they pass through the gates. The figure of a man has also been spotted riding the Ferris wheel and sitting inside its many carriages. The park was left to its ghosts until 1985, when local resident Gaylord White, who had worked at the park in his youth, bought the property with the intention of revitalizing its amusements. White had dreamed of owning the park since high school and had high hopes of restoring it to a former, or hopefully better, glory. The White family set about purchasing a new Ferris wheel and swing ride. Adding to the mix, White acquired even more attractions such as paddle boats, bumper cars, and a stage to host the park's live performances. Safety was a chief concern with the new park, and it operated without incident for three years. Rising insurance costs ultimately forced the park to close permanently in 1988. Not to be deterred, White turned his sights to using the land for mud bogging. However, the property was about to give up more ghosts than even White could have anticipated. Bulldozing on a tract of land came to a halt almost as soon as it had begun when the heavy-duty digging unearthed a lost trove of Shawnee artifacts. Visitors had been picking up broken pieces of relics littered all over the land for decades. But White's discovery was vaster than anyone could have expected. Archaeologists from the local Marshall University and Concord College were called to excavate. Between them, the teams managed to recover over 25,000 artifacts, including pottery shards, necklaces, beads, tools, and arrowheads. But that wasn't all the teams uncovered. The discovery of over 20 corpses, most of them belonging to children, proved that the land was sitting on top of a tribal burial ground.
bone and dental deterioration showed that many of the children died due to infection centuries ago when a terrible flu swept through the Shawnee community. Digging was halted in the wake of this gruesome discovery and the remaining graves were left undisturbed. Archaeologists believe that there are over 3,000 bodies still buried on the property. Gaylord White passed away years later. Now his wife Jewel and their son Chris conduct tours on the property with the help of volunteers. Though the amusement park structures have been left to rust, the land itself has not been forsaken. Campfire nights evolved into a dark carnival attraction and haunted lake tours held during the Halloween season. Self-guided trips and overnights can be booked by appointment and the evidence collected by visitors can be examined at the park. Chris White was once asked during an interview, I don't have one, but there are strange things that happen here all the time. Though nature and a local cat colony have all but taken over the property, the White family, as caretakers of this troubled land, have tasked themselves with preserving the history of the park. The family still seeks old photographs of the park's operational days and has expressed an ongoing interest in acquiring all the original attractions. In this way, they continue to invite the living, as well as the dead, to wander the abandoned shores of Lake Shawnee. Turn out your pockets. Paul laughed at the grave expression on Mallory's face. What is this, a shakedown? His smile died when he realized his friend wasn't joking. The trio had retired to their tent for the evening, a roomy three-person rental, to divvy out snacks and fiddle with their equipment. Johnny. Mallory's eyes were fastened on the third member of their expedition. Is there something you want to tell us? Johnny sat cross-legged in a corner of the tent, dialing in his homemade spirit box. He didn't lift his eyes to look at either of them. Finally, he set the box aside and scratched his head. Okay, look. Don't be mad, but I figured our chances of getting a response would be better if we, you know, made them angry, messed with their stuff. Mallory's voice was a note shy of hysterical. Whoa, 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 pump the brakes. Make who angry? What stuff? Paul demanded. His question hung unanswered in the silence a moment more. Johnny, Mallory prompted again. Sighing, to express that he thought they were overreacting, Johnny turned to hunt around in his back pocket. He produced the red ribbon, and Paul gasped audibly. So I stole a souvenir. So what? You think this was the girl's actual hair ribbon? Johnny waved it around, and Paul recoiled. Jesus! Paul, will you chill out? You mad at me, Mal? It was your idea to go on this overnight expedition. Do you want me to walk away like all the others, a hundred bucks short of nothing to show for it? If there are any spirits still hanging around here, then maybe this is our ticket to a front row seat. Our plan was to invite a response, not provoke one, Mallory exclaimed. Her flashlight fell out of her lap with a heavy clunk as she struggled to her feet. 
Come on, you're putting that back right now. I'm not putting anything back, Johnny argued as he also leapt to his feet. And you're going to thank me for this in the morning when we walk out of this park with actual footage of... Uh, guys? Paul was the only one still seated. His eyes were fixed on the rippling wall of canvas behind Johnny. Mallory's furious expression faded as she stared. The flashlight had rolled to a stop several inches away from Paul's shoe. The beam was trained on the back of the tent, where the outline of two tiny hands depressed the fabric as they reached toward Johnny. Mallory screamed. The flashlight's beam flickered and died, plunging them into complete darkness. Johnny fell forward on his hands and knees as he hunted for the light source. There's someone outside, Paul cried wildly. We just saw them trying to get in. Johnny recovered the flashlight and knocked the battery pack against his palm. If you guys are trying to scare me into complying, it won't. The flashlight beam stuttered and switched on. All around them, the outline of a hundred pairs of hands strained against the fabric of the tent, as if a whole host of children clawed to get in. The flashlight died again, and this time Paul was the one who screamed. I'm getting out of here. Mallory was at the entrance, unzipping the tent flap. I'm getting out of this park. Paul lunged for her. Mallory, don't! But she had already vanished out the door. They could hear the muffled pounding of her footsteps as she retreated into the night. If anything had grabbed her on her way out, it hadn't been enough to stop her momentum. We have to go after her. Johnny turned to Paul. She ran the wrong direction. She's going to get lost out there without her flashlight. Paul groaned. Jesus, I didn't sign up for this immersive experience. That's what it is, right? They just sent a bunch of volunteers to mess with us for defacing their property? Well, not us, you. He glared pointedly at the red ribbon that Johnny was stuffing back into his pocket. You feel like putting that back now? Come on. Johnny pulled on his headlamp and tossed Paul the flashlight. We'll split up to find Mal. Don't forget to bring your camera. Paul aired his thoughts on this proposed plan in a few rude words as the two boys crawled out of the tent. Out in the open, they could stand at their full height. Both held very still, listening for signs of Mallory. Or listening for something else. Finally, Johnny switched on his headlamp. The beam swept the area, revealing nothing out of the ordinary until it fell upon the tent. The outside was streaked with small, dark handprints, what seemed like hundreds of them. Is that mud? Please tell me that's mud. Paul begged as Johnny pulled him away. It's just the park volunteers messing with us, like you said. But even Johnny sounded uncertain. Come on, you go check out the lake and I'll head to the mud flats. Paul muttered to himself as the two parted ways. That would be just like Mallory to trip and fall into the lake, he said under his breath. He was suddenly reminded of the warnings their tour guide had given them earlier in the day and picked up the pace. 
There had been drownings on the lake, and right now, it didn't feel like something to joke about. A late October breeze blew through the leaves above. In the distance, he thought he heard the squeak of a rusted swing. A chill shot through him. It was only the wind, he thought. Suddenly, his jacket didn't feel warm enough. Mallory! He called. As he neared the lake, he heard something splashing around in the water close to the bank. It sounded like a fish had accidentally stranded itself in the shallows, or like someone was groping for purchase after a fall. Mallory! Paul sprinted for the shoreline, sweeping the flashlight's beam around for any sign of his friend. He couldn't make out a thing through the overgrown water weeds. Mallory! He heard another splash, closer this time, and saw a disturbance in the water to his left. He trained his flashlight on it. The beam glinted off something pale just before his foot slipped, and he crashed backward onto the bank. A clammy hand clamped down around his ankle. Paul's scream cut through the abandoned park. Johnny whirled. His friend's terrified shriek echoed in the night and then choked itself off abruptly. Paul! He shouted. He could feel his pulse pounding in his throat, barely leaving any room for words. His breaths came fast and erratic now. He was knee-deep in mud. It sucked at his shins with every step he took deeper into the bog. He had tried to turn around multiple times, already, and failed to locate dry land. He couldn't even see the trees anymore. All his headlamp illuminated was yards and yards of black ooze. Every time he moved, his footsteps were swallowed by the earth. Are you guys in on this together? Paul? Mallory? I said I'd put the ribbon back. Johnny cried. Hot tears spilled down his face and made tracks through the filth that caked his cheeks. He didn't appear to notice. When I get out of this, you guys are going to be sorry you ever... The mud dragged down his next step and he fell, sinking up to his elbows in muck. The light on his headlamp blinked on and off like the light of a dying firefly. The mire around him started to churn. Thick bubbles broke the terry surface and burst, filling the air with the foul stench of sulfur. A small pair of feet shuffled into view. Only one of them wore a shoe. Johnny looked up as the light of his headlamp shuddered violently. There was someone standing over him, standing atop the sludge without sinking. It was a little girl. But there was something wrong about her. Her tattered dress stuck out at odd angles from her body. She held her hand out to him. Johnny knew it wasn't an offering. He quickly thrust his own arm down into the mud and hunted around for his back pocket. Wait, I have it. I'll return it to you. His hand closed over the ribbon. He tugged. His arm was stuck. The little girl slowly withdrew her hand. Wait, it's right here, he cried. I swear I'll give it back, I'll... Mud boiled and burst around him. Johnny sobbed as hundreds of hands 
broke the surface and reached for him. It was the last thing he saw before his light went out. In Lake Shawnee, there is a park, and in the park, there is an old swing. You'll know it when you see it, for it's marked by a bright red ribbon. Sometimes the wind off the lake stirs the swing to life. Sometimes the swing rocks on its own, even when there isn't a breeze. Thank you for joining us to explore the abandoned Lake Shawnee Amusement Park. Tune in next week as we discuss another terrific destination. I'm Carmen Carrion. Remember, you can send me suggestions and stories of haunted places to my email, carmencarrion at gmail.com, or follow me on Twitter at Carmen Carrion. Be sure to check out EerieCast.com for more terrifying podcasts. Until next time, be safe out there until I see you at our next destination.